Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. My thanks to this week's sponsor, Hayloft Plants Limited of Pershaw in Worcestershire. There is no better group of plants for flower power than forms of the shrubby potentilla. Producing single rows like flowers continually from June to the first frost. Oh, that's better. It's uh, nothing better, is there, than when you've been out in uh, bracing cold wind to uh, come and sit in front of uh, an open fire. Hello and welcome to This Week in the Garden. I'm Peter Seabrook, here to exchange some uh, news, views and a bit of seasonal advice and hopefully answer some of your gardening quandaries. There's a really bitter cold wind blowing through Essex today and uh, it's a relief to be sitting by a nice fire in my wood-burning stove. It does several jobs. You know, I get a warm sawing it up and another warm burning it and it gets rid of all the prunings and wood and stuff that's accumulated over the past summer. Now what's new? Hillier Garden Centres are taking on what was the Wyval Garden Centre at Cyan Park, a stately home in West London. Hillier's, the family business founded in 1864, now operates 17 centres across the south of England. The founder, Edwin Hillier, worked on the Cyan Estate uh, apparently many decades ago, so the family connection is uh, reconnected. A Cyan Garden Centre was established in the 1960s and had uh, the late great TV gardening presenter Percy Thrower as one of its advisors. The main shop was, uh, I think, uh, an equestrian uh, training building uh, a long time ago. Tim Armstrong, who's been general manager at Highfield Garden World, Gloucestershire's leading independent garden centre for two generations, uh, has joined the board of directors and the uh, Horticultural Trade Association has just launched its sustainable roadmap to guide its members towards... uh, leading-edge sustainable business practice. It focuses on such areas as uh, reducing carbon footprint, uh, reducing stress on the UK's water supply, the recycling of plastics, and the fostering of innovation in pest and disease management. In that respect, the Crop Protection Association has just announced that post-Brexit, active ingredients in pesticides and weed killers with expiry dates from the 1st of January 2021 through to the end of 2023 will be granted a three-year extension. It means the glyphosate licence due to expire in December 2023 could be extended to 2025. A new outdoor space called the Wellbeing Garden 
at uh, St George's Hospital in Tooton has been constructed and planted in just three weeks. It's been funded by monies raised by Sir Captain Tom doing those walks earlier this year, most of you will remember. Amongst the queries this week, when is the best time to transplant hardy cyclamen coom? A late summer, early autumn, just before growth starts is the ideal time, but they can be moved now, actually, if you lift them with a really good clod of soil around their roots. They move pretty well, and they're easier to find once you've got a bit of leaf growth. Two or three really hard frosts have caused uh, most of the rose leaves to fall, and now is a good time to reduce the height, especially of tall growing bushes. Just cut them back by about a third to reduce the wind rock that can happen in those really rough, gaily days of winter. The full pruning, of course, of bush standards and perpetual climbing roses will then be carried out early in March. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Our guest for interview today is uh, Alan Jones from Manorview Farm in, yes, Baltimore, Maryland, right across the pond again. Alan has, a, to me, is a very interesting career path. Alan, can you set the scene a little bit for us? I mean, running a very successful American nursery, but not an American originally. No, that, that's right, Peter. I... Uh was born in the UK and uh, started an interest in plants uh, from an early age, and uh, which continued on through high school. And then, um, as most of my high school friends were going off to university, actually, I ended up going to get some practical experience, got my hands dirty uh, at the Royal Gardens at uh, Windsor Castle and at Windsor Great Park, and then went off to Pershaw College of Horticulture. <laughs> You're galloping ahead for us, Alan, when you mention uh, Windsor Great Park. That must have been a, an amazing place to start in the horticulture career. I mean, the training there is pretty good, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It was very interesting. At the time, uh, the late John Bond was the assistant keeper of the garden, and that was quite unique, and he later became the keeper of the gardens. The wealth of knowledge, the uh, unique range of plant material that there is in the gardens at, at Windsor Great Park. And, it, and the Royal Gardens was interesting it was a walled garden in the home park, uh, which is part of the Windsor Castle grounds. And there's a series of lean-to greenhouses. I think they were probably Victorian. 
and um, they would be growing cut flowers, house plants for the castle, as well as vegetables. And when you think about the size of the, the, the rooms and the palaces and, and the castle, you know, 12-foot fuchsia was not unusual. And, and then they also grew um, commercial um, mush, mushrooms there, which uh, I don't think too many people probably knew about, uh, utilizing the, uh, the horse manure from the royal stables. So I think there were probably people who were buying mushrooms at Brentford Market without realizing that they were actually royal mushrooms. <laughs> but you know, it's amazing how our paths cross. I was for four years a peat salesman. Uh, um, and we used to supply peat for casing the mushrooms at uh, Windsor. Oh, really? So, okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's an amazing world. But you mentioned John Bond. He was a pretty tough taskmaster, wasn't he? I remember working for the Victory Garden out of PBS in Boston, and the four of us of a TV crew arrived late, and Mr. Bond was not amused by uh, these Americans arriving late. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he, he, he was, and I got to know him pretty well after I'd left. And then we, we communicated a lot, actually, once I came to the U.S. and exchanged plant material until he retired. So we actually uh, got to know each other pretty well. If um, my grapevine is correct, as a young man, you actually took a Greyhound bus across the States. After I graduated from Pershaw, I then spent uh, six weeks traveling on a Greyhound bus which was quite interesting and started off at Princeton. The nursery's there because uh, I have a family connection uh, with the nursery uh, for my maternal grandmother. And then just traveled uh, for six weeks, ended up on the West Coast, saw a huge amount of the country and then came back to the East Coast again. And then by the time I got back uh, to the UK, it was time to start work at Okoa. Oh, right. That trip to the States must have really opened your eyes. I mean, the difference in scale of operation. The Americans really go for it. Yes, it was a unique experience. And uh, at that point in time, you know, the Greyhound buses ran through a lot of small towns, many of which they don't stop at now. So you really got to see the true American countryside and downtown cities, which uh, uh, was not always the best places to be dropped off by a bus at like 12 o'clock at night. Yeah. But uh, it was a, a certainly a very unique trip, and I stopped and visited a number of nurseries. It was an opportunity just to see how uh, the American horticultural production system was working. I mean, and having just graduated from horticultural college, it, it, was, it was fascinating. I admire your nerve. I think, you know, when I left college at, at what would be 20, went in the army for two years, I'm not sure I would have had the nerve to set off across the Atlantic and then just get on a Greyhound bus and travel. Boy, you must have some nerve, yeah. <laughs> what was it that prompted you then, additionally to having the family connection, uh, to travel to North America? Well, I, I was looking for other opportunities within the industry and uh, the owner of uh, Princeton Nurseries at that time, uh, Bill Flemmer, a family connection, asked me if I'd like to come to the US and uh, get involved with um, their propagation department. I got the necessary visas and then uh, headed off to, uh, to Princeton, New Jersey. I mean, we should explain that Princeton was an enormous nursery. In fact, Probably one of the largest in the States, wasn't it? At one time, it was the largest nursery uh, in the US. It started uh, in about 1913, 1914. And, and when I was there in 1984, there's about 
3,000, 4,000 acres still in production. And what kind of things were you propagating there then? Uh, it, was, it was a lot of trees and shrubs. Uh, there was obviously a lot of budding being done on the trees, but I was more involved with uh, propagating shrubs and uh, growing on their uh, container production. You can imagine the, the numbers, the quantities were, were quite enormous. Yes. Well, with 3,000 acres, I mean, the mine boggles at it all. But then in um, 2007, you up sticks. Yes, I, I, I then took another opportunity and went down to uh, Manorview Farm, which is in, uh, in, in um, Baltimore County in Maryland, which is j just north of Baltimore City. And um, it's a much smaller nursery. And then I ended up purchasing the nursery uh, as, as, as well. And um, timing is everything because uh, it was a year before the recession. <laughs> 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 but uh, we, we we survived and uh, and were stronger for it. So, uh, but um, Manorview, as I said, is, is located about twenty five hours north of uh, the city of Baltimore, and in a quite a historic part of Maryland. Um, the local church, actually, just down the road from the nursery, is about two hundred and fifty years old, and uh, obviously there's a lot of history in the area. And, in, and even though we're close to Baltimore, it's still very rural. So, Alan, can you tell us uh, a little bit about Manorview Farm? Yeah, um, the, the, the nursery is a 100-acre nursery, um, predominantly tree and shrub production, in-ground in production. Uh, we also have uh, propagation greenhouses. And then we have a landscape distribution centre, which is really rather like a wholesale garden centre, supplying landscapers in the Washington, D.C. and the Baltimore area with finished product, which is ready to go into uh, residential and commercial landscaping projects. It's a wide range of material. We don't grow large numbers of any one thing. It's some of the more unusual items. Because Manorview actually has introduced plant material as well. Cornuscusa wolf eyes, which I believe is in England, um, was introduced by Manorview. It's variegated Chinese dogwood. Thuya steeplechase is a slower growing sport off Thuya green giant. And then more recently, we introduced Chinanthus virginicus white knight, which is a, a very heavy flowering fringe tree although that's proving to be harder to propagate, so it's, it's not as readily available. But uh, we irrigate the entire nursery through drip irrigation. So there's pipes down the row, every single tree row. And um, the pulse irrigation or cyclical irrigation is where you run the irrigation for short amounts of time to allow it to soak in, but you don't run it for more than you need to run it. Um, research in the last five to 10 years has shown that most nurseries are applying far too much irrigation water. So this is a way of to conserve water and to allow the water to be uh, utilized much better by the plant. It's, it's a better way of just growing plants and the, and the plants tend to grow stronger and uh, they're more healthy and therefore become uh, more resistant to pests and diseases. I could see that as a very useful uh, development I mean, here, if we have a really dry, hot summer, getting water to penetrate is a part of the skill. And I can see that pulse watering, particularly by drip, would get much better uh, penetration. Yeah, and that's now being utilised uh, a lot in container production as well. And I think gardeners are starting to use it and where irrigation systems are put into residential landscapes you're starting to see that same method being used, again, as a, as a form of water conservation. Yeah. Now, what about this drone stock taking? How does that work? Well, it's something that we've started to, to utilise within the industry. And drones are starting to, uh, 
show up on nurseries. We're using uh, RFID chips to identify the trees. Eventually, what the drones will do is to have a scanner on the drone that will uh, pick up the information that's on those chips, and therefore you can do the inventory much more quickly and much more accurately. That's the ultimate goal. We've also used drones actually for spraying this year. Um, and this is part of an idea of we can start using new technology. It will attract younger people to the industry because they see it's, it's, it's more than just, just weeding and pruning and moving plants. We, we had a, a, a local contractor come in with their drone to, uh, to, to spray. And uh, and he he was referred to as a drone ranger. <laughs> I, I love that, yeah. But I also understand that uh, you're very good with uh, high school career events and apprenticeship recruiting. So your reference to young people um, is like the tip of the iceberg to me. You you're doing a great deal in that area, I believe. Yes, I, we recently started a new organization actually in, in, in Maryland called the American Landscape Institute. It's a way of finding and encouraging future managers and growers for the horticultural industry, because that's one of our biggest concerns. So it's loosely based on the European apprenticeship program. Um, and we like to call it a, a work to learn to earn program. And, and the goal is to show young people that you know, there are rewarding and sustainable careers in horticulture. Um, it's now in its fourth year, and it's a two-year certificate program. And so we've successfully graduated two classes. The students work for four days a week and then spend one day a week at college, uh, with the employer paying 80% of the tuition cost and the student paying 20%. And this is what uh, appeals to a lot of the students is that uh, if they successfully graduate from the program, they receive their 20 percent back. So in, in effect, they've got a free education. You know, working with this local community college that already had an existing horticultural program uh, made, made it easier to start uh, the American uh, Landscape Institute. But um, it's, it's been very gratifying, actually, to hear the comments at the graduation ceremonies when the students talk about how this program has offered them a, an unexpected opportunity within the industry. It was actually the brainchild of a, one of our local landscape contractors who had grown up in Germany. So he understood the European style of apprenticeship programs and um, thought that we should get it going in the, in the US because apprenticeships are not that common. Although in the last few years, you're starting to hear more about apprenticeship programs um, being created. So we're hoping this is a way to get young people and people who have a, a passion and an interest to come into horticulture and uh, enjoy the rewarding career that uh, many of us have experienced so far. I, I think it's brilliant. I, I love the phrase too, you work to earn to learn. <laughs> I, th I think that we could follow that lead a bit here, Alan, now, because we're desperately short of uh, bright young people to take over management. And the horticultural colleges like Pershaw uh, are nowhere near as strong now as they were when uh, you were a student, sadly. Finally, Alan, could I ask you about Buxus, Boxwood? Um, it, there's a major problem here with uh, pest and disease, uh, and we're losing some of our box hedges. Is that a problem too in the States? It, it, it is, and... Um... We really didn't know about boxwood blight until about 2011, when it, it hit pretty badly in uh, North Carolina and Connecticut at about the same time. And, I, and the industry, I think, at that point thought this could be the end of boxwood. We 
followed what had gone on in in Europe and in, certainly in England, and and uh, had read about the devastation with with the boxwood uh, in, in gardens and in uh, in nurseries. But uh, we we were actually pleasantly surprised that uh, with a lot of research from organisations like the Horticultural Research Institute, the universities, and the government-funded uh, research, we found that there are ways to uh, to live with boxwood blight. And, and one of the reasons it's important is that uh, it's one of the major shrubs still sold in the US. And I saw one report recently that they reckon there's about 11 million boxwoods sold annually. One of the reasons it's still very popular is it's, it's deer resistant. Deer are a major problem with, with most gardens and people go to great lengths to try and keep deer out. And uh, uh, it's coming harder and harder to find plants that will still be deer resistant over time. So what we found is that with the research over the last 10 years is that there's a number of different cultivars that are showing different levels of susceptibility to boxwood blight. And it's kind of interesting that the research has indicated that resistance is largely related to geographic origin of the plant. Asian species generally exhibit greatest resistance, while the European species tend to show the greatest susceptibility. And so what we've seen is that uh, over time, the very susceptible cultivars are being dropped from production and from sales, and uh, nurseries are and landscapers are utilizing those cultivars that are showing greater resistance. And then also we've looked at cultural practices. Um, we make sure that there's good airflow around the boxwoods. Uh, we make sure that the uh, leaves don't stay wet too long during a period of potential contamination, you know, when the temperatures are, are, are just correct. When um, production workers are in some of the fields working with boxwoods, they'll wear disposable Tyvek suits so that you know, at the end of the day, they'll take the suits and dispose of them and not spread boxwood uh, blight um, spores. The equipment they use in the fields will be washed down and then uh, pruners will be sprayed with alcohol. So there's a lot of additional work that's now being done to uh, try and reduce the spread of boxwood blight. And, and it seems to be working. Our sales of boxwood went down for a few years, but now they seem to have come back. And uh, there's still a, a huge demand for boxwoods. Just recently, one of the largest boxwood producers in the country introduced what they're calling the new generation of boxwoods. Uh, these have been tested and show a very high resistance to boxwood blight. Uh, there's one that's called the new gen independence and new gen freedom. And so that's going to be interesting to see how um, they, they fare in the marketplace. They become quite popular fairly quickly. And then I've also learned recently that uh, there's a nursery in Belgium that has been working with cultivars that are boxwood blight resistant, and they've just been allowed to send some plants to the US for testing as well. So it looks like the, the future of boxwood is, is, is good, um, despite what we thought 10 or 11 years ago, but you've just got to change your cultural practices and only plant them in the in the right place. You know, it's the usual old story, put the right plant in the right place. Yeah, indeed. So we're, we're actually quite encouraged for the future of boxwoods because they are a huge part of the nursery industry in the US. Uh, I spoke with one of the Belgian nursery people at uh, one of our big trade conferences last January, and I think that they're coming here now, those uh, resistant varieties. Alan, uh, in, in conclusion, can I uh, quote 
your partner, uh, John Clark, who tells me that they used to uh, kid you about being British and the stiff upper lip. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> does that still exist, the, the British stiff upper lip? <laughs> I, I think it does to a certain extent. I mean, if you, there is an advantage to having an accent in the US and certainly an English accent. It, it can open doors and, and, and also calm people down. And it, it, so I have used it on occasions to my advantage. But uh, <laughs> if I talk to my family back in England, they say I've lost my accent and, uh, and just sound very American. And my, my, kids, my kids tell people I don't have an accent. So I'm not quite sure uh, where the accent fits and where it falls anymore. So. Uh, Alan, it's been great speaking to you. Fascinating uh, stories. I, I would like just to say one last thing is, you know, the, the, the industry in which we've all worked is, is really quite unique. And the one thing that strikes me on a very regular basis is that your biggest competitor could also be your best friend. Yes. This industry is generally very keen to share information and uh, it just makes it a wonderful industry to uh, establish a career. And I'm just very, very thankful that uh, this is the career that I ended up uh, uh, following. Alan, do you think it's because we fight the weather? And we need the support of one another because Mother Nature can deliver some pretty cruel blows to us sometimes, can't she? Yeah, I, I think you're right. We have a, a common enemy <laughs> and uh, we're all in it, you know, to quote a, a very overused uh, phrase now, we're all in it together. Well, Alan, can I wish you all the best for the coming uh, Christmas season and a very successful New Year. Well, thanks very much, Peter. It's been a pleasure. As a tailpiece, two of Alan's mentors in early life recommended, uh, if you take from the industry, you should give back. The motto of the International Plant Propagators Society is seek and share. Our guest, Alan, today has certainly done just that, and I thank him for doing so. My thanks to this week's sponsor, Hayloft Plants Limited, Pershaw in Worcestershire. To my producer, Rich Jarman, and of course to you for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.